0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Acts chapter 2 and just verse 1 only. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now in our continuing theme of the Holy Spirit, I think this is part six, I want to draw your attention this morning to the, the word or the term Pentecost or Pentecostal. What does Pentecost Mean? What does Pentecostal mean? If you were in your workplace or at your school or somebody was chatting to you and they ask you, what in the world does Pentecost mean? What is Pentecostal? How would you answer that? I hope you wouldn't say it's a denomination. There are Pentecostal denominations, but Pentecost is not a denomination. Or you might say, well, it's those people who stand and sing for 45 minutes, long and loud, and they hold up their hands and they speak in tongues. Or you may go a little bit further. You may say, well, it's an emphasis that certain people and churches have on the Holy Spirit. Just like the Baptists, There's an emphasis on water baptism. Or Presbyterianism, an emphasis on the presbytery, the the ruling elders. Or Methodism, an emphasis on methodology and how to study and read the Bible and so forth that John Wesley was a great advocate of. But then they may say, well, what is the connection then between the Holy Spirit and Pentecost? Pentecost. And you may answer, well, that's the day the Holy Spirit fell upon the early church, those disciples in the upper room. Not only fell upon them, but entered into them, indwelt them. But then what if they said, well, why did that happen on Pentecost? Why not any other day? What's so special about the term or the word Pentecost. Which brings us back to the original question then, what is Pentecost? What is Pentecostal? In the Old Testament, God instituted all kinds of laws, rules, and regulations so that the nation could govern themselves in righteousness, and govern themselves ethically and morally and civilly in a way that would honor God in a way that would be respectful to him and would be a blessing to them as a nation. And in order to do that, he gave them a moral law, the Ten Commandments. But then he also gave them civil laws... And civil laws would help them to be able to live with one another and deal with one another and be in relationship with one another. Every society needs some kind of civil law for us to exist and to get on. Otherwise, it would be chaos and anarchy. But then he also gave them ceremonial laws. And the ceremonial laws were there to govern how they worshipped. You just could not worship God any way you wished. Uh, there was a certain uh, rules, ceremonial rules in order to do this that involved a priesthood, involved a tabernacle, later on a temple, it involved sacrifices to be made and so forth. And so it was, it was, it was quite strict. Uh, and without getting into all the details, of course, of the tabernacle, we know that the high priest was only one who went to the most holy place. He could only do that once a year on pain of death. So it was very strict and very Limited in many ways but God instituted that so that they just couldn't willy nilly worship God there was a way to do that that would honor God respect God have reverence and so forth Exodus and of course Leviticus and Deuteronomy uh, has many many details of all of those things in Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy 16 God also as part of all of this instituted Uh, particular feasts, seven of them in all, and they became known as the the seven feasts of Jehovah. And these feasts were to take place over a period of seven months, and they were to take place in three stages. And the stages in, first stage in April, from about mid-April, there was three feasts, And then the last stage was in October, and again, there was three feasts. And then in June, there was one feast, So there was seven feasts in three different phases. And this was to coincide, because there were agricultural people, this was to coincide with the particular harvest in Israel. Now, the early harvest, of course, was the grain harvest. The later harvest then was the grape and the olive harvest, the oil and the wine harvest. And so all of these were to take place at certain times in certain ways, and all of them were to take place in Jerusalem, and all males uh, were uh, invited and commanded, actually, to come and to be partakers of these feasts, participators uh, in these feasts. And so... And the 14th and 15th of April was the Feast of Passover, which included the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits. So that was the first set of the Feast, 14th, 15th, 16th of April. Then there was a gap of seven weeks. And on the 6th of June was the Feast of Pentecost. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Then there was another gap of about three months, which brings us to April. That was during the hot summer months. And you come into October, then there is the great Feast of Tabernacles. Now this included the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, which is the most holy day, Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles proper. So if you follow me so far, uh, three groups of feasts, three different times of the year over a period of seven months all males were to go to Jerusalem to support this and to par- participate in these feasts. Now, back to the Feast of Pentecost, the one in the middle. Sometimes it was called the Feast of Weeks. And the reason is very obvious and simple is because there was a, a gap of seven weeks uh, between Passover and Pentecost. And seven weeks by seven days is 49 days, plus one Sabbath day is 50 And the Greek word for 50 is pente, p-e-n-t-e. And the Greek word for 50th is pentecoste, which is where we get pentecostal from, or pentecost. Now, the 50th day after Passover, obviously the grain would have been planted and have been grown. The first fruits would have been offered up during the Feast of First Fruits. But now, 50 days after, on the 6th of June, when the full harvest had come in, this is the day of Pentecost. And on that day, the priest would take two loaves of bread, and he would wave them before the Lord in a wave offering. And this would be signifying that the whole harvest belongs to God. And this is a token of thanksgiving for the whole harvest that had come in. Well, what was the significance of these two loaves? Well, remember I told you before in in an entirely different context, we're talking about the second coming of Christ just a few weeks ago. Remember I told you about during first fruits, how the priest would go out when the grain had been planted and had been coming up, the priest would go out, he had put three hoops, one hoop in each field of three different fields. And then when the grain had come up through that and started to grow, he would go out on a certain day and he would cut those three sheaves in those three hoops, and he would bind them together, and he would wave them before the Lord as a wave offering, signifying this was the token of the harvest that was to come. Now, here he's doing this again, only this time he's waving two loaves as a token of the harvest that had come in. And so, this was signifying something. Now, instead of the grains being bound together, this time they were baked together. Not bound together, but baked together. And this had a prophetic significance, which we will show you just in a moment. Now, for the Jews in the Old Testament, the Jews, the day of Pentecost uh, was important for two reasons for them. First of all, it was a day to remember God's giving of the law to them through Moses at Sinai. Fifty days after the exodus Passover, when they left Egypt, fifty days after that Passover, when the death angel passed over, fifty days after that, they arrive at Mount Sinai, God gives them the the law there at Mount Sinai. So that was to remind them of the law, and secondly, to remind them to give thanks to God for the great harvest, the grain harvest that had Come in. So it was a day to be thankful for the law and to be thankful for the harvest. Now imagine this scene in Jerusalem. Some 1,500 years later, since God had given them the commands to do these things, to hold these particular feasts. Uh, here they are in Jerusalem holding the particular feast, the Feast of Pentecost. Now these seven feasts are both historic and Prophetic, historic for them, prophetic for us. Jesus had been crucified, dead, buried, rose again, and appeared to many for the next 40 days. What happened on the 40th day after that? He ascended up into heaven. The disciples were standing there. But what did he tell them just before he ascended up to heaven? He told them to go into Jerusalem to go to the upper room and to wait there for the promise of the Father until you be endued with power from on high not many days from now. But he never mentioned anything about Pentecost. He didn't tell them how many days. He just says, not many days from now. So they really had not got a clue about what was going to happen, really. But they obeyed, and they went to the upper room And how long were they there? Ten days. Forty days. Ten days. Fifty days. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, what happened? The Holy Spirit came in power on those disciples and in those disciples. What happened? Peter went out and preached that great first sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. Amen? And then 5,000 got saved, and then all of Jerusalem is filled with their doctrine, and that was Samaria, and Judea, Samaria, and Antioch, until the ends of the earth, and it's still going run the world today. So it was harvest time for the church, wasn't it? That was the great harvest starting to come in, and the harvest all over the world is coming in today. You wouldn't think it by looking at Western Europe, but it's coming in all over the world today in various nations. What about the two loaves then that the priest was waving on the day of Pentecost? And, and you know, it probably was that exact moment as he was waving these two loaves that the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room. Can't say that for 100% sure, but I get the feeling that's when it happened. Why do I think that? Well, if you go back 50 days to the Feast of Passover and how the priest would be in the temple, and how he would be slaying the lamb, the Passover lamb in the temple. And at that very moment, Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, the real Passover lamb, was being slain on the cross, wasn't he? Amen? Because to them, that was a historic thing, but for us, it's a prophetic thing. And so here he is. We have in the two loaves, the 120 that were in the upper room that day were bound together with a common cause. Mm -hmm. They all had a common experience. They all had met Christ, had trusted Christ, had believed in Christ, known that He's the resurrected, risen Lord, and there they end in obedience. All with one accord, all with one in one place. They were bound together. But now the Holy Spirit comes, falls upon them, in power and power enters into them. And now they're not just bound together, but they're baked together. They are one in Christ, supernaturally, mystically, we can't understand it. But you and I now are one in Christ. As soon as you get saved and born again, you enter supernaturally into the family of God, into the body of Christ, and we become one in Christ. We're all different and all different nationalities and all different personalities, but we're one in Christ. Jesus, we're baked together in Christ. It's a supernatural thing. Amen. Yeah. What was it that Jesus prayed for the most in John 17? that we might be one, even as he and the Father are one. And here it was happening. But you said, David, there's two loaves. You know, those early disciples, the early church, they were absolutely convinced that, that the gospel, this good news, was only for the Jew. They did not understand it was for the Gentile also. And Peter was challenged as he lay upon the roof of Simon the Tanner, wasn't he? And how that great sheet came down with all kinds of beasts and creepy crawlies and things that was unlawful for a Jew to eat. And the Lord says, rise, Peter, slay and eat. Not so, Lord, I've never had anything uncommon or unclean. Remember how the Lord rebuked him and says, what I have called clean, don't you call uncommon. He did it three times. And then suddenly, three men appeared at his door, looking for him, sent by Cornelius. And the Holy Spirit says, go with them, doubting nothing. And how he went with them, he got to the house of Cornelius. And Cornelius told him how an angel appeared and says, send for Simon. He's at the house of, uh, send for Peter's. the house of Simon the Tanner. And bring him here, and he'll speak to you. And how that Peter, when he heard that, he began to preach Christ unto them. And halfway through his sermon, what happened? The Holy Spirit fell. Peter says, like on us at the beginning. Later on, when he gave testimony to headquarters in Jerusalem, he says, the Holy Spirit fell on us, like on us, like on us at the beginning, because we heard them speak with tongues and prophesy. There's the second loaf, the Gentiles. And now the Gentiles has come in. And now actually, there's only one loaf. There's no longer two loaves. There's only one loaf. Paul said in Romans 3, 29 and 30... Or is he the God of the Jews also? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. In Galatians 3:26 and 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Pentecost was a wonderful, wonderful day. The day of the harvest for the church. And that harvest is still coming in all over the world. And not only that, what is thistling and getting on over there? So what? Rain or hailstones on the window. There was a rain or hailstones in the window. I thought it was some paper blowing there seen people's eyes looking towards that, and I thought, "What's disturbing them?" <laughs> Look this way. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's what Pentecost symbolically stands for, and prophetically stands for for us. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Thank God for Pentecost. And thank God for the life-changing effect that the Holy Spirit has in every single. Believer. Without the Spirit of Christ, we're none of His, the Bible says. Now, they're in fillings of the Holy Spirit. There's more. But without the Holy Spirit, we're none of His. When you're saved and born again, you've got the Holy Spirit. Because without that, you wouldn't be saved. You'd be none of His. But there's more. So, Pentecost is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, Jesus told those disciples, did he not? In Acts 1 and 4, he's told them to go and to wait for the promise of the Father. And what happened when they went and waited? The Holy Spirit came. The promise of the Father. In John 14 and John 16, at least twice, Jesus promised that when he would go, the Holy Spirit would come. Uh, Come with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 13 and 14. Paul said, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit A promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, that is a powerful verse, actually. Wonderful promises given. Promise of the Holy Spirit. Two things to greatly encourage us this morning. Firstly, the promise of the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of promise, as he's called here in Ephesians 1.13. Now, there's two ways we can look at that. We can say the Holy Spirit as the fulfillment of God's promise, or the Holy Spirit as the promise of God's Fulfillment. Two sides of the same coin. The Holy Spirit as the fulfillment of God's promise, the Holy Spirit as the promise of God's fulfillment. The Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of a promise. John 14, 16, promised, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come. In Joel 2, part of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, promised that the Holy Spirit would come and be poured out upon all flesh. So the Holy Spirit was promised, wonderfully promised. In fact, if I could just perhaps just read that, maybe in Acts chapter 2. How that Peter emphasized that. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, and all you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men, ser, men, servants, and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then in verse 38, Peter said to them, when they asked the question, men and brethren what shall we do Peter says repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to those who are afar off and as many as the Lord your God shall call so there's absolutely no question about it that the holy spirit even away back from Joel's day was promised that he would come, and he came, just as the prophet had prophesied, just as Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit came, and he came in great power, and he came in a wonderful way, on, particularly on that day of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of a promise, and the Holy Spirit is the promise of fulfillment say, what do you mean by that? Well, we see here in Ephesians, again, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. "'In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, a promise.'" who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, the audience that Paul or Peter would be speaking to would understand that perfectly. Because in those days, if you did business, if you went to the market or you went to a carpenter shop or whatever, uh, and you wanted to purchase something, you could purchase that, and you could come back for it later, or you could make a down payment and come back for it later. But in order to show that it's yours, you would maybe have a drop of sealing wax, and you'd melt it and put it on there, and you would take your signet ring, and you would stamp it maybe with your initial or a name or a mark or something that was yours. And particularly in business, they did that a lot. And so that was sealed. That's yours. You're coming back for that. you purchased that or you've made a down payment in that. You're coming back. It's called earnest money. Even today, in conveyances of homes and things, your solicitor or your mortgage lender may look, earnest money, a down payment, Uh, and it would prove your bona fides, and you'd be making a promise that you're coming back to get that but that would be yours at that particular point. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God seals his children with the Holy Spirit, and he does it for a purpose because he hasn't finished with us yet. He's still working on us, and he's coming back to claim us. So we are sealed, and he knows who are his. We belong to him. The seal of the Holy Spirit is on your life, in your life. God knows who belongs to him because you've got the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Thank God we're sealed today. It's amazing not people want to mark things, isn't it? You know, in the last days when it talks about the Antichrist coming, what does he want to do? He wants to mark people, doesn't he? With the number of his name. In that sense, he's trying to seal them. As belonging to him and his system. We're really spoken for. We belong to the Lord. We belong to His kingdom. And His invisible seal is stamped in our lives. Glory to God. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. The word guarantee there is arabon. Arabon. And arabon means pledge, down payment, deposit. God has made a deposit, a pledge, a down payment, as it were. Yes, everything was paid in full in Calvary. But speaking about the Holy Spirit, He put the Holy Spirit into our lives as a promise to us that He's coming back to claim us. That's the down payment. That's the pledge. That's the Arabon. And that goes with the seal. Now, listen. Our bodies, the Bible says, we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are imperfect. We're getting old. The body begins to break down with age and so forth with mortality. And we're waiting for the redemption of our body. And one day we will have a resurrected, resurrection body, I should say, that will never grow old, that will never break down, that will be perfect, just like the body of Christ Himself a glorious body like His body. It's amazing. And the Holy Spirit in us is a guarantee of that. That's the down payment. That's the pledge that you're gonna get a new body someday. Isn't that good news? You're gonna get a new body someday. But it's even more than that. In the modern day Greek language, an engagement ring is arabona. Similar word. When a young man falls in love with a young woman, and he decides at some point, or they both decide that they're going to be together for the rest of their lives, in the normal course of events, at one point, the young man will go out and he will get an engagement ring. And if he's very civil and uh, good-mannered, he'll go to her dad or mum and ask her hand in marriage. And if he's really romantic and civil, he may get down on one knee in a public park or somewhere where everybody can see. I'm only joking. <laughs> but he'll get the ring. And if he puts that ring in her finger, if she receives that, what's that ring saying? That ring's saying, that's the promise of her greater relationship to come. Of a lasting relationship to come, of a more glorious relationship to come. So, in a sense, in a sense, when God gave to us His Holy Spirit, in a sense, that's the engagement ring. That's the promise of a greater, deeper, more intimate relationship with Him, and He's sending His Son back for us. His Son is the Bridegroom, we are the Bride. He's in heaven, we are in the earth. This is the pledge that He's coming back for us. He's given us His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came in power on the day of Pentecost. Aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit? See, this is God's promise to us, that there's more. There is an eternity of more to come beyond our greatest imagination. Just even to think right now that one day we will see Jesus in all of his manifest glory. You you cannot imagine what that's going to be like. It's beyond our imagination. John, when John saw this in the book of Revelation, he he wrote with the the language of appearance. He'd never seen anything like this, so he, he just described as best he could. But words are not adequate enough to be able to understand and express what we're going to see. Paul, what Paul says, it was unlawful for me even to utter another human being. And all of that and more is promised to us. And we've got the guarantee because right now you've got the Holy Spirit. That invisible Holy Spirit who lives inside you is the guarantee of much more to come not only in this life, but in your eternal future. And God says, so I'm making you a promise. My son's going to come back for you one day because you are his bride, and he is the bridegroom. And one day we'll sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb, not as guests, but we'll be at the head table as the bride because he's the bridegroom. And then we'll enter into that eternity of eternities. And every day will become more glorious. And every moment will become more intimate. Remember, remember last week I spoke about Mephibosheth sitting at the table of David, and how as he sat at David's table, after all those years, just a little boy, didn't really know David, but as he sat at David's table, and he entered into that fellowship, then relationship became out of the fellowship. And right now as we through the Holy Spirit, enter into more fellowship with Christ, then a relationship deepens. And it will find its fulfillment in the glory. Amen? So thank God for the Holy Spirit. And thank God for Pentecost, the day of Pentecost changed so much in the life of the church and is still doing it to this very day. If the Holy Spirit right now gives us power and gives us wisdom and gives us guidance and leads us into all truth and gives us life, how much more, if that's just the down payment, how much more are we going to receive? Amen? So no matter how much we receive today, there's always more to come for the believer. Our brightest days and our best days are always ahead of us. (laughs) Did you hear me? Our brightest days and our best days are always going to be ahead of us no matter how good today is. It's nothing in comparison to the other days that we're going to face in our future through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks today. You're such a good God. And we thank you for every promise that you have made to us. And we thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that we experience the fulfillment of that on a daily basis. And yet, Lord, there's so much more to come in the future. So, Lord, help us to walk day by day, step by step, in faith, trusting and believing that we're being led and guided by your spirit. And so that one day, whenever you come or call, that we will be ready to enter into the glory. Enter into the eternity of eternities. Lord, we give you thanks today. You're so good to us. Lord, we did not deserve any of this. It's all by your grace and mercy. So we give you thanks for this and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.